Yeah. Is there a video that was going to play or no? That's okay. We'll just jump right into it. That's all right. Um, how are you guys doing? Yeah. I want you to remember oh. that God. God's created everything you see. He breathed it into existence. You remember when his people were caught up in slavery? He rescued them. What he did was he parted the sea and he made a way for them and then he delivered their enemies to them and he unlocks wounds and he provides water from a rock and he provides manna from heaven and he brought down the walls of Jericho. He froze the sun allowing victory. He's toppled giants with tiny stones. He's brought fire from heaven. He shut the mouths of lions. He preserved life in the belly of a well. He's fed thousands with a few loaves. He gives the weak strength. He heals the sick. He's made the blind see, the deaf ear, the mute speak, the lame walk, and he's overcome evil, and he's made a way through death for you and me by the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, that we will live with him forever. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. What are we afraid of? His resume is flawless. He controls everything. And he loves you. Awesome. Sweet. Good to see you guys. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so for those who don't know me, uh, my name is Zane. I'm one of the student pastors here. Thanks, Maggie. <laughs> and um, I've been gone sort of the last four months and uh, uh, teaching at some other events. And so... I'm super stoked to be back in Minnesota and uh, here at our home church. Um, so I, while being one of the staff here on the pastoral team, uh, they also like send me out. I don't know if it's because they get sick of me. And so like kind of every like so often they're like, all right, why don't you go out there a little bit, you know. Uh, but I'm back. So uh, if I don't know you, I look forward to meeting you. Um, we are starting in this series called The Story of everything, okay? And we tonight are going to be looking into the reality of creation and the fall, okay? Uh, as we look at, sorry, the, the story of everything, God's plan from the beginning, okay? Now, before we dive in, I want you to, like, go on an imagination journey with me, okay? You ready for a little make-believe time? Sorry if this seems very childish. I have three little kids, all right? So, uh, so I want you to make-believe with me that there are aliens. This is make-believe. Some of you are like, wait, there are aliens. No, okay. There are aliens, just make believe. Don't like sermon cut me up. Like Zane said, there's aliens. Okay, make believe. Off in a far away land in a galaxy far, far away, and these aliens have a desire, a passion, a fascination with knowing who God is. 
So these aliens have been like, man, all we want to do is discover the God who created everything. And through their superior intelligence, one day as they are doing research, as aliens do, they discovered in another galaxy far, far away, there's a planet called Earth. And on this planet, they come to understand that there are people. And these people are created in the image of God. So being fascinated with like, man, we want to know what God is like, they set off on a journey through the galaxies and they arrive on earth with one main purpose, to discover what God is like. And they've heard that there's these people who represent him. So they set off on their journey. They cruise through the city And eventually they walk up to a park bench where there's a man passed out on the park bench. Turns out he's drunk. They get close and they begin to try to dialogue with him. He's barely coherent, can hardly talk. The aliens all of a sudden get a little confused. So they continue on and as they're walking through the city, they come through like, you know, like one of those... uh, Uh, stores where it's like, you know, TVs in the windows, right? And they look and they see news stories, much just like our news stories today. They see war, people killing people. Once again, the aliens are confused. They go a little further. They come up to a school. They see a bunch of teenagers gathered in a circle, and they come over only to see a group of teenagers picking on another, bullying another teenager to where the teenagers brought to the point of tears. and The aliens are confused once again, and they continue on, and eventually they, 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 they through their x-ray vision, they see a girl alone in a room looking in a mirror, and she says she hates herself, and she begins to self-harm. The aliens are brought to deeper confusion. They come to a group of teenage boys and they hear them speaking down to one another, making fun of each other. And then they walk and they find you. And they begin to follow you throughout your day. You don't recognize them. Would they understand more of what God is like or less? When these aliens went back to their ship and went back to their galaxy, the general thought of what they had just seen, would that have been what God was like? No. They would have concluded what sin was like. But if they were to follow you, what would they have gathered from watching your life. Because the reality is, they would have been perfectly just to gather information from watching you to figure out what God was like. If you go to the passage that we're going to start with, in this idea of creation, for Genesis chapter 1, it says this, Genesis 1, 26, says, God says, um, let us 
make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, and over all creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the like, in his own image, God created him, male and female, he created them. You see, I'm going to break this down to a couple things. First, we're starting with God's creation. Then we're going to look at the fall. First, God's creation, that each and every one of us were created in the image of God. There's a couple things that we learn from this passage. First, we learn that you, that God had an intention in creating you. He had a purpose in creating you. First, we see throughout creation, God's intention was for good, that you were created for good. You look through the whole rest of the Genesis account. It's like God creates the earth, and it's good. God creates the animals. They're good. The plants, good. Over and over, after each and everything that God creates is good, 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 good. And then very good when he creates humanity. There is an intention of goodness that God has created you with. We see in 128 that he then also creates a blessing that we as humans, people, were created in like the pinnacle of God's creation. So he had an intention and his intention, part of his intention, was that you were created in his image you were created in his image. Now, the, the language of image here is taken actually from this idea where we would, um, like a, a ruler would come into a city, they would overtake the city, and then they would put like an image or a statue or a monument of themselves in the town square or on a building to be like, this is the one who rules this area. God created you being his image bearer to display to the world that God's in control of this area. Or maybe like this, the word image also we gain from like on a coin, right? On a coin that we have, you would see an image of a past president, someone who had control, rulership of this place. You were created in the image of God, to be one who displays the character and the, 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 the likeness of who God is to the world. So I know, like, you know, if you're myself, you wake up in the morning and look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, really? <laughs> uh, but it's less about what you see necessarily in the mirror but more the content of the way that you live your life. So like those aliens, the way that they came to learn about God because they heard that the people were created in the image of God, this is God's intention. Intention, purpose, image. But then next, he also created us for intimacy. And he created us with intimacy to walk with him, to experience life with him. 
we see in Genesis 1.19. I love this. This is like what kind of one of my favorite parts of this whole Genesis account. Genesis 1.19. If you have your Bibles, uh, or it should be on the screen, Genesis 1.19. It's God brings the animals to Adam. And, and if you look at the, this one phrase, uh, and it says, now, it says, uh, sorry, is it 119 or 219? 219, thank you. Uh, God brings the animals to Adam to see what he would name them. Okay, pause for a sec. I know, like, you know, we talk about God as sovereign, right? Like, so, so, so that he, he, he knows. But, but there's this unique part of a relationship and intimacy that God has with Adam that when he creates man, he then, he then brings all these animals that he's created and he brings them before Adam to see what he would name them. I like to picture, what was that like? Imagine Adam sitting there, God, relating with Adam and being like, okay, I'm going to bring these animals before you, and you have a purpose. Name them. I can picture Adam like, dude, rhinoceros, hippopotamus, you know, as they're going by. And then it's like, how many animals are there? You know, it gets to the end. He's like, cat, bat, rat, gnat. Like, I don't know how that went. But, like, just picture this, like, unique relationship. And I wonder sometimes if we miss some of the beauty of who God is and how he's created us because we see him as so outside and other, yet we miss the fact that he's created us in his image to be like him and to enjoy fellowship, relationship with him. We even get a little clue in that verse, let us Make man in our image? Who's God talking to? Himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That from the beginning of creation, God has like lived in perfect unity, unbroken fellowship, a love, caring, kind relationship. So when the make-believe aliens came to earth, they were looking to see what God was like, and they would look to people in groups to say, do they treat people with that sort of characteristics? Because they're meant to reveal what God is like. But what happened? Well, we know that it's not the only part of the story, right? While God created us with an intention to have intimacy in his image for life, Satan brought death. That's the next part of the story, right? The fall. Genesis 3, 1 through 14, we hear the rest of the story where Adam and Eve are tempted, choose to live outside of a relationship with God, and sin comes in. We'll start with, yes, thank you, Laura. Um, We'll start with Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Okay, we got to pause right here. God's first, God's words to Adam and Eve were actually 
you are free to eat from every tree, just not this one. But if you listen ever so carefully, Satan twists God's words. He speaks part truth. He says, did God really say you can't eat from any tree? Do you hear the slight difference? God says you're actually free to eat from every tree except for this one. Satan's deceptions will often come in the slightest twist. Did God really say? First comes as a question. Is God holding out on you? And I believe much of the temptation that you and I will face as followers of God will come with slight twists. God's holding out. And I bet many of the struggles and tensions that you have experienced, that I've experienced, at least I know in my own life, have come by wondering if God is holding out. And maybe that substance would satisfy. Maybe that image would satisfy. Maybe that going this far in a relationship is good. And it's often through the slight twists that Satan tempts us. And, and, and maybe this will help. Okay. Uh, so there's this, this was an actual study done. And they took a, uh, a park, oh, like a, a, a playground, right? playground that kids would play on. I, I don't know if you guys have ever heard this. And there was like a, uh, you know, slide. I'm also an artist. <laughs> There's kids. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's hard to imagine that I'm still a pastor when I have such great skills. <laughs> I don't know if you guys can all see this over here. You're missing out. Um, swing set. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, you get the idea, right? <laughs> For those who can't quite see, there's an amazing, elaborate uh, park here. And this park was on a set of four busy roads. Cars driving both ways on all sides. Did you get the idea? A park surrounded by roads. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> true. Thanks. <laughs> Man, when it comes to artistic skills, my kids have a lot to live up to. <laughs> uh, so you get the idea, right? So the first study was done on this park with no fences. And what they found was that the children were then allowed to play at the park next to the streets, surrounded on all four sides, and the children played only in the center of the park. Even though there was still, you know, Ferris wheel. Ferris wheel? <laughs> it's a really rad park. What's that thing that goes around and you... 
merry-go-round. Wow. <laughs> Maddie, thank you. I don't know. Yeah, merry-go-round. Yeah, you guys ever go on a merry-go-round and you like push someone and they fly off and you barf in the middle? That's what they did in our child. You guys probably had like padded ones. They had like speed regulators or something. You had to go out with a helmet. I don't know. When we were a kid, they just let those things rip, man. It was like rusty slides and <laughs> no regulation on how high. Extreme sports. We didn't have extreme sports. We just had playgrounds back then. Okay. What they found was that the children played in the park, but they never went to the edge. They stayed only in the center, not utilizing the 10, 15 feet all around the outside. Then they took the same park, same place, new group of kids, and they built a fence around the park. And what they found is once they built the fence around the park, the children played all the way up to the fence, showing the reality that regulations don't always restrict. Sometimes it's actually the parameters that give you freedom to enjoy all of what's been given. So when God establishes rules, law, when he gives ways to live, it's not meant to restrict, but it's meant to unleash us to experience to the fullest all that he has given. But Satan's temptation will often be, did God really say, and you're missing out? And I know that's how it's worked in my life, is that there's often things, temptations, and the reason why they lure me in is because they have some promise to bring something that I'm not getting. But ultimately, God's intention is for good. The rules and parameters that he's placed on sexuality, on sex, on morals, on the way we treat people, on what we put into our body, the substances. They're, these rules and regulations, these commands of God are not meant to restrict us, but only to unleash us to fully experience all that he's given us, the freedom to live the good life. What he's intended from the beginning. It's good, it's good, it's good. As a matter of fact, he even placed them in the place known as the Garden of Eden or the place of pleasure. And, and, and this is what Jesus tells us. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is John 10.10 10, where Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and life to the fullest. But he doesn't start there. He starts first with, but the thief seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. You see, the fall, yes, there was a serpent, but the serpent brought sin, and sin 
is what Adam and Eve gave into. Look at Genesis 3.6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. I want to be, I want to pause here. Maybe I'm going to push this out of the way because I like seeing you guys over here. Eli, I like being able to see your face and your mustache. So, thanks. Gives me hope. Um, I'm like, maybe I look that rad with a mustache. Why'd you laugh like that? You're like, ah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, where was I? Besides lost in Eli's mustache. Um, if you listen to Satan's attack to Eve, and you listen to Eve's response, she saw that it was good. It was appealing to the eye. Again, once again, sin, I don't usually like get a lot of applause for this one, is fun. You're like, wait. No wonder why they don't. Oh, thanks. No wonder why they don't let you be a pastor here very often. <laughs> Makes sense that your stay is not long here. But think about it. That's why we do it. People don't get drunk for the feeling like the next morning. Like, dude, I can't wait for the hangover. That's gonna be awesome. Wake up, my whole body hurts. My head feels like it was hit with a sledgehammer. Mouth tastes like someone pooped in it. Like, that'll be great. <laughs> You're like. Think about it. People do it because in the moment, it's fun. And I would suggest that all sin, the reason why it's tempting is because it lures us with a veneer, a counterfeit, pro- like a counterfeit promise that it's good, that it will be satisfying, that it will be pleasing. I think sometimes we talk, you know, at church, it's like, oh, sin, it's so bad. It's true. But it's like, it's like the second you do it, lightning's going to come down. You know, it's the worst. Thing. Well, the reason why people do it is because it's fun. And before I, like, go too far, do you know that the Bible actually recognizes that sin is fun? Hebrews 11.25. I don't think it will be on the screen. But it says that Moses, uh, Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. But the Bible tells the full story about the pleasures of sin. It says that only lasts for a season. You see, sin's pleasures have a shelf life. So I would like to warn you because there's some in here tonight who maybe be like, well, whatever, dude, like I've been vaping and it's fun. I've been getting high with my friends and it's fun. I've been going to parties, but it's fun. I'm not denying that. But here's what I'm saying. Sin's pleasures have a shelf life. And maybe that's an immoral relationship with a girlfriend or boyfriend. I'm sure it is fun. But there is a shelf life. And when it expires, it brings shame and death. And none of us are above and beyond it. All of us have temptations and things that lure us in. Some of you are like, well, dude, I'm not drugs and vaping. Like, that's not me at all. But maybe it's the way that you treat other people. Maybe you're a bully. Maybe it's the way you gossip. Maybe your sin is you look in the mirror and you see God's creation and you don't give thanks. You hate what you see. 
but you're his creation. And he created you. You're his handiwork. He does not make mistakes. He made you the way that you are on purpose so that you would be a unique demonstration of who he is to the world. Mine. Sometimes it's jealousy. I see what other people have. I'm like, man, I wish I could have that. Sometimes it's the way that I treat money. Do I use it for his kingdom? Do I use it for myself? Sometimes it's just like, I just want greed more and more, whatever it is. I tell my wife, I got a case of the I wants, everything. I'm like, I want that, I want that, I want that. We all have sin because the reality is we were born with it. Since Adam and Eve sinned, sin spread to all of humanity. Do you ever realize that's why you never have to teach a baby to be bad? You ever think about that? I know because I have three kids, right? I love them to death. They're little sinners. Take after their mom. No, just joking. <laughs> I can say that. She's not here. It's <laughs> being recorded, though. Sorry, Rach. <laughs> but that's the reality. We're born with it. We didn't have to teach our kids to be bad. We had to teach our kids to obey. Because they're born with it. You and I were born with it. Because of the fall. God created good, created life, created fullness, created you experience intimacy to be his image. He created you with power to rule. You have purpose. But every single one of us was born with what's called a sin nature. And that sin nature is going to continue to pull us away. And then the sin of this world, the lure of the enemy, will continue to draw us away from what God created us for. And when it does, Genesis 3-7, shame comes in. God came to bring intimacy. The enemy comes to bring shame. Look at what Genesis 3, 7 says. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. The enemy tempts them with this fruit. Eve eats, gives it to her husband, who's right there with her. And as a result, shame sets in. First, whenever we sin, it does Two things, if not many more. One, changes the way we see ourselves. First, notice what they did. They hid. And they sewed fig leaves to cover themselves. They noticed that they were naked. It's changed the way they see themselves. Do you know what I see in this generation as I've had the opportunity to travel and spend time with teenagers like yourselves all around the country? One of the things that I've seen over and over and over again is there is a crisis of identity in this generation. So many people struggling. Who am I? Where's my value? Do you know that pre-COVID, they said that this generation, your generation, deals with as much anxiety as a psychiatric patient of the 1950s. So what's that mean? That a, a person who was clinically determined to no longer function in society because of their anxiety, back in the 1950s, they say that's the average of teenagers today. 
what the pressure that you guys are dealing with, whether it's because of the cropped images that you're infiltrated with day in and day out, saying this is what you got to look like, you got to post, you got to be at this, you got to look like this, you got to be like that, you got to say this, you don't say that, all of that constantly bar bombarding you. Pressures at school from parents, uh, at your church, pressures from your friends, pressure, pressure, pressure. As much anxiety as a psychiatric patient of the 1950s. Average. And then they say that in America, pre-COVID, 2.2 million teenagers deal with crippling depression. They now say, they're still like, you know, studies are kind of happening like after COVID. They're saying that number has tripled. And I think a huge part comes as we're lured into sin and it changes the way we see ourselves. I'm not worthy. I need to hide. I can't go to God. That's the second part. It changes how we view God. The God who they were once were created with to live in intimacy. We see a picture of God walking in the garden. That possibly they walked in the garden day and day with God, intimately with him. Now they've run and hid from him. And God comes, where are you? The next thing is shame. So many of us live in the cycle of the shame game. Okay, I've, I've done this sin. I looked at that thing online. I'm never going to do that again. And then, and then you do it again. And then it's like, oh, man, I'm not worth it. I can't go to God. And I just feel shamed. And then I don't want to go to God. And I'm just going to hide in this. And then finally you're like, okay, maybe it wears off. And you're like, okay, I'm, I'm back. Like me and God are good. And then fall again. And then it's that same pattern. You're like, I can't go to God. And what can happen is when you were once quick to turn to God because you're like, oh, I need him for forgiveness, it can get longer and harder and more difficult. And you can feel further and further to where you're stuck in your shame plagued with depression, riddled with anxiety, wondering if God cares. But my favorite part of this entire story is, and we'll kind of lock in with this, is Genesis 3, 21, and it just says this. The Lord God made skin, made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Okay, first question. Where did God get skin from? I've read that for years. And then I was like, wait, it doesn't say like he got them better leaves. Or like he exchanges their leaves for bark. (laughs) He got skin? Listen to this. Sin requires a sacrifice. God made the first sacrifice, where God sacrificed animals, we don't know which kind, and he took that skin and he covered and clothed Adam and Eve, taking away their sin and shame, restoring them back to him. God not only made the first sacrifice in the garden, he made the last sacrifice through Jesus, where the father took the life of his son when Jesus died on the cross paying the price for you and my, your and my sin. No longer just covered by the, the skin of animals, but by the blood of the Son of God. Not just covered, but washed clean, made 
knew when Jesus died on the cross. And, and then there's this one part of the verse that I, I like never knew what to do with. Genesis 3.24. Genesis 3.24. Do we have, yeah, okay. This is, dude, you guys, this is wild. This blows my mind. Okay, lock in on this. It says, and then he drove man out of the garden. He placed them on the, oh, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden, cherubim and flaming swords flashing back and forth. Get this, to guard the way to the tree of life. I kind of always felt like, yeah, dude, that's what they deserve. They blew it. So God kicked them out, never to return. Look at the language here. It doesn't say to guard them from the garden of Eden. It says to guard the way to the tree of life. That God has always protected and provided the way back to life. And he's done it through the person of Jesus. So I don't know what your sin is. I don't know what your failure is. But the Father has provided a sacrifice. His name is Jesus. He lived the life that you and I could never live. He died on the cross, and then he rose three days later. He conquered sin, he conquered Satan, he conquered shame, and he conquered death. And the Father has protected, ever since the beginning, the way to life. And that way to life is accessible to Jesus, through Jesus for you and me. So one, where are you at in that story? God's intention is for good. For you to enjoy intimacy, to know that you are in his image. Sin and Satan want to rule and destroy your life. Promising pleasure and satisfaction, only delivering death. The Father gives life. If you will simply place your faith and trust in him. But even for those of us who know him, the way is always open. It's been protected. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, live in that safety and security because it's what he has done, not what you have done. And you can live with confidence and boldness that, yes, I'm not perfect, but I have been provided for through the Father making the sacrifice on my behalf. So then let us live as image bearers because, yeah, there's not aliens coming to check it out. But there are friends. Your school, your neighborhood, your community is looking to see what God is like. And the closest thing that they may see is not the word of God, but you as image bearers of God to demonstrate to the world that Jesus is alive. So live it well so people may know there is a God who's in charge and he is good. So, Father God, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you so much for your life. Lord, and I pray if there's anybody in here that does not know you, that they would place their faith and trust in you. And it can be as simple as just saying, God, I've failed. I've sinned. Lord, I repent. 
I changed my mind about the way I, I view sin, Satan, and death. And I changed my mind about the way I view my Savior, Jesus. He truly is who he says he is. He lived on my behalf. He died in my place. He raised to new life. And by trusting in him, you receive life. And for those of us, heads bowed and eyes closed, who know Jesus, what does it look like to just say, God, I want to live fully for you and be your image bearer. I can't do that in my own strength, but I know, Lord, you can do it through me. Thank you for that goodness in Jesus' name. Amen.